0: Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast. Stories by leaders for leaders. To help you raise the bar on your own excellence. To release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. Hello everyone, this is Hugh Ballou. Back for another great episode of the Nonprofit Exchange. Where we talk to leaders about their experience, about their knowledge, about what they've learned and about what the challenges are, and maybe even what they did that they wish they hadn't done. We call those learning opportunities. We learn from each other. We learn from our experiences. And we we offer the non-profit exchange for leaders working in these leading membership organizations. or businesses doing good in a for-purpose enterprise, not a for-purpose framework. So it's, it's uh, defining the next step for philanthropy. How do we show love for humankind and bring goodness to the world? Well, that's in the work that we all do. And uh, my guest today is a member of the Center Vision uh, private community of nonprofit leaders. And Daniel's been a member of that for, for a while, and he's a very important contributor to the sessions that we have that are live sessions. And I've grown to admire Daniel and his work. So I said, why don't you come on the non-profit exchange today and share your story and, and talk about why you've started this non-profit and what, you, what you're what you gonna accomplish with it. It's still early stage. I thought it was important to talk about the work because it's it's an area that um, has been invisible to, to me most of my life and I'm learning a lot from Daniel that's very valuable. So Daniel Hodges, welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange. Please share a little bit about who Daniel Hodges is, a little bit about your background, and then leading up to why you started this nonprofit. Thank you for being here.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. So as you mentioned, my name is Daniel Hodges. I am a recent graduate from the University of Baltimore School of Law. I've got three kids and currently living in Springfield, Missouri, although you know, a fun fact about me is I've lived in 10 states, most of them multiple times. So, you know, there's definitely a gypsy gene there, but I think that's a good segue into the fact as someone who was born blind and who had parents who didn't get access to the resources they needed I was growing up, there was a lot of serious doubt as to whether or not I'd be able to travel independently anywhere throughout my life. You know, I didn't learn how to cross the street independently until I was 18 years old, for instance. And so, this fact that I've lived all over the place, I've uh, traveled to most of the major cities in the U.S. You know, that's something that was not a given as I was growing up, or even as early adulthood. And then, when I was 30 years old, I was also diagnosed with a connective tissue disorder called Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, which is something that's actually congenital, but it is very difficult to diagnose because there is no lab test for it. It's what they call a clinical diagnosis. And, you know, many of us with rare diseases that fall into that category, we can go years or sometimes decades without getting the answers we need medically. So that's part of what led me into wanting to be a lawyer and practice at the intersection of healthcare and civil rights. And then that's also what ultimately led me to want to Um, start Pieces of Me Foundation so that we could help sort of address some of those needs that are still outstanding.
0: So it's called the Pieces of Me Foundation, is that right?
1: Correct. And it's spelled P-E-A-C-E-S, and that is a play on words. We wanted to really bring home the message that as people with disabilities, we are not incomplete. We're not, you know, 80% human or whatever, you know, someone might kind of imply, but we are missing the piece, P-E-A-C-E, that comes from really accepting and embracing who we are and then being able to move forward to fulfill our potential once we have, you know, really brought that into our self-identity and can then project outward the confidence and the security that comes from being not only okay with who we are, but really liking who we are, loving who we are regardless of what the world says, and then being able to go out and contribute and um, just really participate fully in society in a way that heretofore hasn't really been the case.
0: So um, you were were born blind? Correct. And um, I think you shared with me that the doctor told your parents something that was very disparaging. What was that?
1: Yeah, I mean, when I was a teenager at my Parents were told, oh, you can't let him ride a roller coaster. You can't let him play sports. You can't let him anything that could potentially cause any kind of bump to the head because my retinas are so fragile. And heaven forbid you lose that little bit of eyesight that's left. And then, you know, somewhere along the way, in my late teens, they came across another professional who said, well, you know, he's blind. He doesn't really have much of the way of education um all he'll ever be able to do is cane chairs that's really all he could aspire to wow.
0: wow did you did you hear that conversation and what and or did they tell you about it and what did you think
1: i was i was mostly privy to it um i don't know i think that there may have been part of the conversation where he took my parents aside but i mean i wasn't dumb i knew where this was going And. Um, you know, there was always that dichotomy or that difference of I can see the fact that I'm intellectually up with my peers. and I mean, even at that point, I was in good enough shape that I, you know, with a wooden bat, if someone soft-tossed me a baseball, I could hit it 450 feet. But at the same time, there was that, also, there was that other part of me that says, Wow, well, I've been out of school for five years and no one's been able to homeschool me or find me real education. I have to use these, you know, these print books that are like size whatever 70 or whatever font in order to read I can't read I can't really write I can't do all these things so there's a gap between what I want to do and what everyone says I can do and it was a real struggle for most of my childhood and and, then into early adulthood
0: so you just shared with us that you just recently graduated from law school That's a long way from caning chairs.
1: It is. And I, and I have to say here, you know, everyone says, well, law school does a lot of reading. That's right. You get a 100-page reading assignment and professor doesn't even blink. Um, and it's so interesting because I mentioned, you know, having those books that are the size of a desk, it seems like, or these other things where I could read like A, C, E, like, you know, that sort of thing. How, how can I do that? But somewhere along the way, um, when I was almost 18 years old, someone introduced me to Braille. Around that same time, I was introduced to screen reading technology and then into adulthood. I'm like, wait a minute. I actually like to read. And here I am at 37. I read all the time. But I never would have imagined that growing up because it was such a chore. And it wasn't that I hated reading. It was the way that reading was presented to me wasn't accessible and so those lines blurred. And so that, that, that's really kind of the transition that helped me, at least for the reading component of the law school, helped me get through because of things like access and you know, being able to identify what are actual strengths or opportunities for growth versus what are things that are accessibility barriers that are completely beyond my control.
0: You know, we all have challenges and sometimes we just play the victim and say, I can't do any better. What, um, was there somebody in your life that was a leader that motivated you to see differently, to think differently, to want to experience life differently?
1: I've had several. Um, one of them is my kid's mom who stepped in when I was just about to turn 18 and, or I just actually turned 18 and said, you know, look, you're smart. You have had to stacked against you, but this isn't you. You can do so much more. And so she took it upon herself, her and her mom took it upon themselves to introduce me to more people who said, here's how you use the cane. Here's the expectations you should be setting for yourself. And then four years ago, as I was sitting there kind of floundering after I graduated with my bachelor's degree, I had been in the advocacy world. I had been out searching for jobs. I had just had surgery on my femur and hip and said, I don't know what to do here. And a mentor of mine, who I have to add here. I had, I had just connected with a few months prior and who had no experience in the disability world other than what I had been teaching her about advocacy and about disability. She was the first one who turned around and said, wait a minute, you're teaching me all of these things. I'm learning, I'm changing my perspective. But wait a minute, you have the advocacy knowledge, you have the intellect, you have the ability to speak and write, why wouldn't you go to law school? And I said, well, I don't know, I don't know that I can afford it. I don't know about the pain. I don't know about the fatigue. I don't know about this and that. And the other season, wait a minute here, hold on. This isn't adding up. And so even, even in that sense, there was yet another person who's, who said you need to lift your understanding of what you're capable of and you need to go for it. Stop asking what you think you can do. Start asking what you want to do and then go figure it out. And so in those two examples, you have one person who was blind and who had been around forever in, the, in this world. One person who was uh, not disabled and was brought into the world and they both played an integral part in their own way.
0: That's amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> two people could perceive something they did not have the ability to perceive prior to that conversation. Um, and I know you've helped me become aware of many things since, since I've known you. And um, you just kept showing up for the, 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 um, the community meetings and the Center Vision community and adding a lot of value to the conversations and very good observations. So thank you for, for that level of influence that you've had for me. Um, and, and, uh, I'll be 75 this year and I'm learning new stuff all the time. I think as leaders, we should never stop developing. Um, so we're using this term disability. So why don't we put some, some context? What is a disability?
1: So, you know, legally, if, by the way, first of all, for that compliment and, I think I was drawn to you specifically because you are the kind of lifelong lifelong learner that I strive to be. So I've definitely said I, I, I've that's been reciprocated in spades as far as what I've learned from you. Um, but I think in the terms of what is a disability, you know, the law defines it as something within us that, you know, like some sort of condition or some sort of physical or mental characteristic that causes some sort of difficulty in a daily task or some more significant life life task. But the reason I'm kind of dancing around it is because really, we are all people. We are all people with our own characteristics, our own minds, our own spirits. And really, the true disability is the fact that most of this world was not designed for the broad spectrum of people. There was designed for one kind of person in mind and everybody is expected to adapt to that system regardless of whether or not it's painful enough. And really people say the pain point is when you have to make a quote unquote accommodation because you just can't into, squeeze into that norm anymore. But we're trying to flip down on his head of saying, wait a minute, if you look at it from a design perspective is the fact that I can't see truly a disability. Well, not if not if material is presented correctly. So it's 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 a really complex concept and it's one that I will I want to drill down on in my work because people are out there feeling broken because they're being taught that they're the problem instead of the system that is the problem. Wow.
0: You heard it here. You heard it here. This, um, by the way, if you've just tuned in, you're listening to the Nonprofit Exchange. If you're on Facebook, please share it with uh, with your contacts. Um, there will be a transcript at the nonprofitexchange.org. You can go there and get to uh, this episode. And in, in a couple of days, so there'll be a written transcript of this interview. And if you want to go to wherever you get podcasts and go and look for the Nonprofit Exchange, then you can have this on your phone and listen to it while you're on a trip or or whatever, or replay it, because there's lots of really good meaty stuff. So disability um, means a lot of things and it's more complex than a simple dictionary answer. I get that. So in the broad sense of disability, um, how many people have it?
1: Conservative estimates would put it at about one in four people although as more invisible disabilities are beginning to be recognized, including chronic health conditions, both physical and mental, that number is surely going up. And so, but as a starting point, we would say at least one in four, probably many, many more.
0: And, and um, so some of those things that you said were invisible, what, what? give us an example of what that would be.
1: Well, this could be anything from someone who has an arthritic condition to someone who has a connective tissue disorder like myself or someone who um, maybe experiences anxiety or depression or chronic fatigue or any number of things that may or may not be um, readily visible to the outside world but are nonetheless quite impactful and especially you know people in that camp they deal with a double-edged sword of whatever circumstances they happen to be um, navigating, but also the outside world saying, well, you look fine to me, which in and of itself can be quite the microaggression.
0: Wow. Not to mention um, people that have eyesight being blind. Um, yep. I mean, we, we choose what we recognize, don't we?
1: We do. We do. And I think there's, again, it kind of goes back to this idea of, Can we possibly squeeze you somewhere just across that line to being quote unquote normal because because societally that's what we've chosen to uh, really put on a pedestal. Whereas for someone with an invisible disability, if we can turn that completely flip it on its side and say, you're okay. You have your circumstances you deal with, some are pleasant, some are not, but you're okay and we need to make sure that you're getting whatever support, whatever resources you need so you can fulfill your potential, that releases a lot of positive energy back out into the world because people are not trying to contort themselves anymore to fit into something that makes the world more comfortable. They're living their authentic life and they're out there serving and participating and working in a way that really embraces and includes all of them.
0: So I heard you say you're 37? You have (laughs) law school, you've got an undergraduate degree and you founded Pieces of Me Foundation. What was your motivation to start that nonprofit?
1: So we wanted to start it because we knew that there were a lot of people still falling through the gaps. You know, I noticed as we were looking for resources years ago for my children when they were still in active treatment for cancer, you would run into social workers in hospitals and it was their job to be able to tell you what resources were out there and they often didn't know because there was no comprehensive resource and you had people trying to build these resource lists themselves and I said well wait a minute that's not possible we have a model for how one builds an encyclopedic knowledge of the world around us it's called wikipedia and if we take that same model, utilize the harness, utilize the power of the crowd to build the best resource list, the best knowledge base in the world, then you have the platform to start really addressing societal misconceptions, really start addressing interpersonal misconceptions because you have people connected in a way where knowledge, insight, resources are shared when and where they need to be shared. And that can actually empower people to, to make whatever strides they need to make to, to advance to that next stage of life.
0: And um, I, I had the pleasure of meeting a part of your board uh, last night and um, you've attracted some really good folks. And um, I shared with you that um, we, we are influencers and we attract people. And we don't attract what we need, we attract what we are. And you're a person of a high level influence. So I was quite impressed with your board. You have some people watching today. So let's, um, the title of what you chose today, discovering the value of including persons with disabilities in your overall inclusion efforts. Would you like to elaborate just a little bit on that, please?
1: By the way, I completely agree with you with my board. They are phenomenal. So oftentimes we have run into a situation where someone will say, well, we would like to be more inclusive. We would like to be more accessible, but we don't know how. And we don't really know what that means. And so instead of beating people over the head with this demand, I, we on our team have taken the approach of saying, well, let's start at square one. Let's actually look at the fact that access, it's been proven out. Access usually does not cost much, if, if any money. It does not require tearing things down and starting over again if it's done right. And especially if you get it on the ground floor as far as what you're developing, whether it's a physical structure, a cyber structure, anything in between, it can be built in It can be built in well, much less expensively than people imagine, and it can actually improve the design process for everyone that gets back to this idea of universal access. Um, What what benefits me, what benefits someone else with a disability, oftentimes ends up being the catalyst for innovation for everyone, regardless of whether or not they identify as having a disability. That's the beauty of universal access
0: very informative wow so i have been i was a serious student of facilitation 35 years ago and one of my I'm, I'm a conductor as you know so i took that skill and moved it into the boardroom and to design meetings in a whole different way because nobody likes boring unproductive meetings people hate going to meetings. <laughs> oh you know i live to eliminate boring unproductive meetings uh because we only have so many days on this earth, let's make the most of each one of them. <clears throat> so we we drive for results in meetings, but it's the culture of high performance that's important. And from the very beginning, in in my, in my books and my lessons, I teach people to think about creating diversity um, in your team. Now, I didn't have in mind people with disabilities. I'm learning. I'm learning that's a, yet another dimension of diversity. And, and so diversity means uh, I'm a boomer. We're getting, we need people with, with there's, five, there's five different generations alive, at least. So we need to think about the difference of perspective. And there's so many nuances to diversity and inclusion. It's, it's an intentionality of thinking, why don't we get people that don't all think the same? and see and, and, and experience life the same way. I'm using see to see things in a generic sense. So pardon me for that, but it's just like, how do you perceive? We, we use that word in English incorrectly is to see, but to, to perceive and experience things. But I, I, creating a board. Now, I was impressed with your board. There's people of different ages, different walks of life, different background, um, different, you know, there's men, there's women, there's, there's old gray hair, there's, there's young folks. So you've got a lot of the different bases covered, which really adds a richness in the thought process and the creative, creativity. And many times we just kind of slough over problems like, okay, suck it up, deal with it. We got to figure it out rather than how can we accommodate everyone? So talk to me, use the word access and accommodate. Can you talk about the two of those and what's different about them?
1: Absolutely. So access is, well, I'll start with accommodation. Accommodation by its very nature is a, it's an intentional deviation from the norm to bring someone at least closer to the norm or to bring them into the group, at least nominally. But just by very used to that verbiage, you can tell there's still a separation. It's still not quite there. Access, on the other hand, particularly universal access, means we are going to utilize a platform where everyone is part of that nucleus, regardless of how they are obtaining or utilizing information or utilizing a physical space, whatever the case may be. It's all about really drilling down to what is the core of what you're trying to do and opening up all of the doors to see what are the various ways that we can make sure that core is met effectively without getting tied into one particular strategy. Um, For instance, if you're looking at, I wanna have a board of people who can digest really complicated information and then make very strategic decisions. Are you looking for people that are very good readers of print material? Or are you looking for people who have very high reading retention, regardless of the modality, who can sift through the material, create insights from it, and then use those insights to discover new solutions. Because if you're the latter, it doesn't matter if it's print or braille or digitally read or whatever the case may be, the modality of how you acquire the information is purely secondary utilization of the information is key. And that's, that's, that's the picture of universal access.
0: You know, I've been through a lot of years without hearing that message. And it's, it's quite astounding because, you know, we can all say, oh, there's too much to know, but it's, it's this eternal learning discovery mode that's just so exciting that um, there's so much more to learn and to accomplish. So what's the overall vision of pieces? Now, if you, I'm going to put in on the webpage, it's pieces, P E A C E S of me. Cause there's another one that's spelled the other way, which is a totally different yep. place. So pieces is P E A C P E A uh, C E O F M um, E.
1: P P E A C E S of me.org.
0: Yeah. That's what I meant to say. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm uh Uh, so I have this coordination between my brain and my mouth. (laughs) So, um, um, your overall, what do you, what's this, your vision for this pieces of me, big picture?
1: My vision is we are building a community all over the world. People who identify as having a disability, people who do not, people who want to be allies, does it matter what disability you identify as having or disabilities, plural, because that's another whole other area that has just been left behind. Or if you're saying, I have these circumstances, I don't even have a label for it yet, but I need help. Anyone can come, anyone can share what they know, anyone can learn. And the reason for keeping it so broad is because we have no idea what amazing idea someone in Africa or Canada or Australia might have that would just absolutely be a paradigm shift for the rest of the world if they had the platform to use it. And similarly, it doesn't matter if you're blind or deaf or you use a wheelchair or you have depression, the underlying stigma is the same. Many of the accessibility hurdles have common roots. So bring your knowledge, bring your desire to learn and when we build that community up we create a a power that really really raises the overall level of consciousness for everyone by virtue of creating that new knowledge and that new insight
0: raising the bar for everyone you know is it is it does it benefit all concern that's that's part of the rotary four-way test Is is it beneficial to all concern so you you talked along the way about um, creating, um, how to be inclusive and create access. And I think you said it wasn't real difficult or real expensive. What are some of the things that that we can do to uh, be, uh, give us some examples of things we can do to be inclusive and create access?
1: So for example, with websites, there are what they call the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines, which are, you know, internationally adopted, although not as well enforced as we would like. Um, you know, there are a lot of things on that, but a lot of them are making sure that your website has proper headings, making sure images have alt text, which is basically, you know, alt text is essentially the caption you would see below an image in a magazine. This is this person doing X, Y, and Z. That makes it to where anyone, regardless of whether or not they can see, knows what the image is trying to convey. Um, there are things like in a PowerPoint presentation, making sure that what is being read, what is being shown on the screen, is being read aloud, um, and, and that the verbiage coming out of the person's mouth matches the slides. And by the way, that not only benefits those of us that are blind or anyone who has a reading difficulty in other means, it also increases retention for everyone who is able to actually see and hear what is going on by somewhere along the way, a five-fold, I believe, if I recall the study correctly. So that's a beautiful little nugget there. Yes. Yeah. Um,
0: so, go ahead. That's, that's, that, those little nuggets are, are precious. Go ahead.
1: Absolutely. So I, th- I think you know that, or just being conscientious and you know really asking yourself, what am I trying to accomplish here? And am I getting locked into a certain pattern? Um, if X if X amount of work needs to be done, does it have to be done over eight consecutive hours? Or can that person break up that work um, so that they can accommodate their chronic pain or chronic fatigue? Um, we've had this, one of the few blessings that has come out of COVID is this idea that work from home can actually be accomplished. This is something that disability world has been fighting for for years because it helps address chronic pain, chronic fatigue, mobility issues, transportation issues, way on down the line. So just really, I think, and there's a million other things I could have gotten to. I'm sure I forgot some very important ones, but really just asking yourself, what am I really trying to accomplish on the nuclear level? And then how do I how do I make sure that I am opening up as many pathways to get to that point as possible so that I'm not inadvertently excluding people who might very well be the best candidate from getting into that nucleus simply because of the barriers that I put up? I didn't even realize I was putting up.
0: Yes, yes. And and uh, the older I get, the more I discover I don't know and the more barriers I have. And, and I had them since as far back as I can remember. So um, I think we all can become more aware. And the, the stuff about the website, I, I can learn. So the um, the alt tags are also, it's mutually beneficial because that's what the search engines look for. The, you know, And your file name, they, it shouldn't be goobledygook.jpg. It should be somebody, something of, substance. And then the alt tag should be relevant to what the image is. Um, so it, it not only helps people who, who have uh, visual disabilities, but it helps the search engines find the stuff that you put up. Otherwise, they're never found and, and it's not going to benefit you. So like you said, everything that you're suggesting is mutually beneficial and helpful and probably fills in a lot more gaps than we might realize to begin with.
1: Absolutely, and I'll just point out: you know more than you realize. <laughs> even just even what you just explained, you know more than you realize, and I think that's the case for a lot of people.
0: It is, and and so you're here to encourage. So um, what I know about Daniel is he's willing to to be a guest on a podcast or interview show, and um, his email is kind of complicated here. So I'm going to offer: if you want to send an email to Hugh at com. You may be listening to this many years from the date we're recording it, but Hugh at HughBallou.com. You know, I, I'm reticent to put your email on the webpage because there's a lot of spammers and mine's already polluted, so it doesn't matter. So uh, <laughs> I, will, I will connect you with Daniel, but you can also go to piecesofme.org, which is P-E-A-C-E. And uh, I'm looking on there. Is there a contact page for there? Yes, there is. So there's a contact page on there. So you can contact us with, put your name and email, and you can also get on his, on his mailing list. Um, and, and Daniel, um, uh, Pieces of Me is just just kind of getting out the shoot, and it's from what I see, from where I, uh, I sit, it's got huge potential. So as we, um, a lot of really helpful things that you've uh, acquainted us with today, and let me repeat to people, there will be a transcript of this on the, on the webpage. Um, within 24 hours for people to read this. And then the uh, edited video will be on the site, on the page, on the nonprofit exchange, as well as the, the audio podcast will be live in 24 hours as well. So as we end uh, this part of the interview, we're gonna stay live on Facebook for some questions, but we're gonna end in, in this um, formal interview. What is a, a challenge or a thought that you'd like to leave people with today?
1: Well, first of all, I wanna, we are are out there on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, and just through our interns, we just launched our own YouTube channel. So definitely look for us on social media as well. But I think as far as the final thought goes, it really comes back to Everyone, regardless of what position you're in, whether you identify as having a disability or not, we all have something to learn. And we really want the same thing. If you're leading an organization, if you're sitting on a board, you want the best candidates for whatever position you have in. And like I was mentioning earlier, a lot of times those best candidates are being filtered out vis-a-vis accessibility barriers. So inclusion is the path forward to have the best people in the best positions possible. So asking questions, learning, really setting aside one's assumptions, all of us, that is the path forward to creating real authentic inclusion. bringing in people that are able to serve out whatever mission you're trying to serve, to the fullest extent possible, and this is something that really has ripple effects far beyond any of us because of the way that it unlocks people, it unlocks potential. That potential unlocks more potential as more people are brought in and are able to serve, are, willing, are able to participate. So the beauty of what is able to be accomplished is just simply immense, and the magnitude, I think like you said, Hugh, we, we, we don't even know just what this could do because it's so powerful.
0: And you are powerful. You're a powerful influence on my life. And I know that Jesus of me will be powerful influence on many people. So, Daniel Hodges, thank you for being the guest on the Nonprofit Exchange today. Thank you for listening to the Nonprofit Exchange. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business
1: podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.